Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long-distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by eXp. See y'all over there. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Short-Term Show. We've got a familiar face on the show today. We've had him on before. He was actually just on an episode of The Short-Term Rental Management Show, Luke's show, and you probably know him from Bigger Pockets. We have Dave Meyer. How's it going, Dave? Good. It's so glad to be back. I always love coming on the show. Well, we always love having you. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> of course, so, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. So guys, Dave has a new book out that we're here to talk about, or it's about to come out called Start With Strategy. And I think that this is so important for you guys to hear about, especially if you're a new investor, because many of us, myself included, just started kind of running out and buying things, flying by the seat of our pants. And uh, I think it's important to be organized up front. That has worked out well for me, but it probably could have worked out in a less stressful way had we been a little more organized up front. So um, Dave, do you want to tell us a little bit about what the the premise of the book is, even though I already kind of said that? <laughs> no, of course. So you hit it right on the head. Uh, the, the premise of the book is that there are tons of different ways, very exciting, great ways to invest in real estate, but not every tactic, not every strategy works for every investor. Some people, short-term rentals are the right answer. Some people flipping houses are the right answer. This extends beyond just tactics. Like for some people quitting your job and going into real estate full-time is best while others stay in their job. And prior to this book, I had really struggled to find resources that helped me or any other investors I know like figure out what they want out of real estate investing and how to pick the right types of deals to actually pursue that goal. And so I wrote the book in that effort. Okay. So I think that a lot of people get so caught up in just the wealth of information and like things to do. And I think I'm going to naturally gravitate towards strategy a little bit, but a lot of people, they, they're like, oh, they'll call me. And, you know, I sell short-term rentals, but they'll call me and say, hey, I'm looking across the country for anything that you have, multifamily, commercial, like they <laughs> they just go into everything. I'm like, well, guys, we sell single family short-term rentals in these markets and past <laughs> that. That's So what do you think is a good starting point for somebody who's like, okay, I have a little money. I don't exactly know where I want to start. How do they figure that out? I think the most important place to start is honestly with a little bit of self-reflection. And I know that's not like the sexiest, most fun thing for for everyone. I actually think it's great. A lot of people want to just jump in, like you said, and start buying deals, but there's so many different deals and it's very easy to go wrong if you don't take a minute to think about it. So 
I recommend and something that I've really spent a lot of time on over the last few years is really like clarifying what I call a vision. And that's just narrowing, trying to figure out like exactly what you want uh, out of real estate investing. To me, that is comprised of a couple of different things like your personal values, but also what is your risk tolerance, for example? What are your financial goals? Like, are you trying to move up your retirement by a few years or are you trying to be a billionaire? You know, these things <laughs> really impact what, how you would answer that question, right? There's no way that you, Avery, or I, or really anyone can answer these questions to a fellow investor unless that investor has taken the time to really think about what they're trying to accomplish. And so that's where I always recommend people start um, with your investing in real estate, really going about any problem solving. Like you kind of have to start with the end in mind. And I think that that is really, really valuable advice because so many people want to start with several ends in mind and do it all <laughs> at once. So you said, you know, are you trying to bump your retirement up a little bit or are you trying to be a billionaire? And I think a lot of people say, I'm going to quit my job and be a billionaire. And they don't necessarily find the right path because they're just like a second ago, I said, a lot of times people are trying to start on too many asset classes at one time. A lot of times because yep. they don't have that clarity in the end goal, they're trying to do a bunch of different end goals at one time that isn't necessarily going to work. And I will take this opportunity to say to you guys, do not quit your job until <laughs> you have maxed out your conventional loans at the very least. You want to start with building kind of a fortress around your W-2 income with real estate. I see people, I've seen several over the years come to me and say, oh, I just quit my job to become a real estate investor and they don't have any doors yet. And it's like, well, you just cut off your main source of being able to get approved for financing by doing that. So that's just a, a PSA. Don't quit your job yet. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. I, for me, it works out. I, I think for some people, quitting their job and going into real estate as a profession could make sense. But I'd say it's like the minority of people. Like if you're in a job that you really hate or doesn't provide you with good money or, you know, then maybe consider becoming a loan officer or an agent or something like that. But Assuming that you need to quit your job to be an investor, like you just said, Avery, I think it's the opposite. It makes it so much easier to be an investor if you have the stability and the uh, opportunity, you know, and the income from an ordinary job. You just pointed out the biggest thing, which is that you're can qualify for loans. But I also think like it changes for me my risk tolerance. Like if I didn't have a full time job, I would be investing in much safer deals probably i'd be a lot more conservative about the way i invest i'd be a lot more focused on cash flow right now whereas because i have income from my job that pays for all my expenses like i can invest in multifamilies or projects that are going to take 3 to 5 years and you know i can experiment with different things because i have additional income and i'm not relying on my portfolio right now i intend to in a couple of years but not right now and I think that that is also very important. You keep just hitting on these gems and I'm like, yes, yes. So <laughs> I, I also agree. So we've we've got 250 doors and we still do not rely on our income from those doors. We wow. only use that income to either reinvest into those doors, whether it's you know rehab projects or CapEx or buy more doors. We don't live off of that yet. 
we will at some point, I guess. <laughs> uh, maybe not, <laughs> but um, we, though we just might, you know, sell real estate till we die. But um, <laughs> it's it it's definitely something that you can't just even if you get to a point of okay, you know, I've got five or six short term rentals, or I've got you know X amount of uh, multifamily to where you have enough cash flow coming in to pay your your bills. Uh, it's not always about just getting to a point of being able to live off the cash flow. And this is something that I started investing at a point in my life where I have seen it change to where if I had started living off of our income, we would have off of our investment income, we would have had some major problems. So when we started investing, I was 25 years old, no kids, really low expenses. And then over time, if I had just said, all right, cool, I'm out. I'm just, we're just managing these properties. I'm just going to chill. We've got what we need. The way we, the amount of money that we have to spend to live <laughs> since then with having two children and nobody tells you how expensive <laughs> that Montessori preschool is, uh, <laughs> we would not be, we, if, had we stopped, we, we would have had to rethink some things and, and somebody would have had to go back to work and do some things. So uh, I think it's really important to to set your goals higher than you probably think that they are. Because if you're really early in life, like 25, you kind of don't know, even if you don't decide to have kids, things, your expenses are going to change as you get older. So I think that's important totally. to, to think about too. Absolutely. I, I you know, I, I, really try to like avoid the lifestyle creep, but it just happens as you get older. Like you just one, I don't have children, but yeah, I know that's a huge expense, but like also you kind of like comfortable things a little bit more, yeah. even if I'm not like buying an expensive car, you know, I'm not staying in hostels with eight other people <laughs> anymore when I go on vacation. I think that's something people really need to think about. The other thing that I think people always overlook when they're thinking about their goals is inflation. And I hope that now, given the unfortunate um, inflation of the last few years, perhaps it will, you know, help people see how damaging it can be. And even during normal times of inflation, spending power approximately, it's just a rough rule of thumb, halves every 30 years. So you think if you're trying to uh, retire 30 years from now, you actually need double what you think you need right now because um inflation will destroy uh, your uh, eat away at uh, your spending power that's just even during normal times that just happens so i i totally agree with you and i think really this conversation about like when to quit your job and so much else in real estate just comes down to trade-offs right like if you really want to retire early you can but it is going to come at the expense of your total overall wealth. Like the longer you invest, the more money you're going to make almost always. So like you can quit earlier, but you're not going to make as much money. The longer you work, you're going to make more money, but that obviously takes more time. And so those are sort of the trade-offs you have to consider. And those trade-offs exist everywhere, right? Like risk and return. Those are trade-offs. You get, you want high returns, you're going to have to take more risks. That's just like how investing works. And so I think it's just really important that people think about these questions and not just assume whatever they see on Instagram or what their friends are doing is the right one for them. Like you have to weigh these trade-offs for yourself and decide which is right for you. I 100% agree with that. And you talk in the book about risk tolerance versus risk capacity. What is that? And what's the difference between those two things? So most people generally 
talk about risk, when they talk about it, they talk about risk tolerance, which is basically how comfortable you are with risk. You know, are you willing to take big swings and maybe lose it all in the hopes of making a 100% return in three years, something like that. But risk capacity is also just as if not more important, which is your financial ability to take on risk. And so for someone like me, just as an example, I consider myself like moderate risk tolerance, like out of, I in the book, I rate it like one out of five. Um, so I'd say like I'm a three or maybe a four in risk tolerance, but my risk capacity is actually pretty high. Like I said, I don't have kids. Um, I have a full-time job. And so I'm able to take risk. So I trend tend towards more of that four because I can do it. On the other hand, there are people I know who are super comfortable with risk, but they don't have a stable job or they have children to care for. You shouldn't be taking on risk. Even if you're comfortable with it, your capacity for risk is lower. And that, I think, is a really important reconciliation that people need to do when they're thinking about real estate because maybe you want to flip and that's risky, but like if a flip goes bad, like are you going to be able to pay your mortgage? Are you going to pay your kids tuition? You know, like, are you, is that going to put your family in a difficult situation? Like you need to be thinking about that as you're building your portfolio. Yes. And cash reserves for those kinds of scenarios are very, very important. Like for example, this past year, 2023, less homes were sold in 23 than in eight, nine, 10, 11. So a lot of flippers got, had, a big scare and some of them lost a lot of money uh, because we had this big, I'm going to call it a pause, like a big year long, maybe a little bit longer than a year pause in real estate sales. And they have had to figure out a way to hold their flips a little bit longer. Not all of them. I'm sure, you know, some people have sold some things, but you either have to have the capacity to take a lower purchase price on that or be able to hold it or, you know, put a renter in it until further notice until you can uh, get what you need to get out of it to be able to sell it. So I think that's really important too, which brings me to another uh, question that I had for you in terms of strategy. So also in the book, we talk about, you talk about, I don't talk about it. I didn't write the book, <laughs> but we're talking about it now. Uh, you talk about, you know, active versus passive. So what, what do you think, how does someone decide, and maybe they can't until they get into it, do I want to do active? Like what is, what kind of lifestyle would an active versus passive suit better? I don't know if I worded that well, but I'm gonna let you run with it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, that's a great question. And again, it comes down to sort of these trade-offs that you have to make. Generally speaking, if you self-manage things, your ROI is probably going to be higher in terms of cash, like actually how much money you're making. Or when you invest passively, the general thinking, the, you know, the common way of thinking about it is that you actually earn a lower return. But I have some thoughts about that that might be a little, you know, uh, controversial or different than the way people think. So one thing is, you know, your return on investment in terms of capital is important. But I also think it's important to factor in how you wish to spend your time. Like I invest almost exclusively passively and I'm willing to give up a couple percentage points of ROI because I choose to spend my time by traveling or appearing on podcasts or writing books. You know, these are things that I like to do in addition to real estate investing. And I think that's just one of the themes of the book and just the way I run my portfolio is that 
maximizing your profit is not always the best thing. You know, I, th I think we like sort of get this idea that you have to make the most money possible on every deal. And I just don't agree with that. I think you want to find the right balance between making money and it not being a total pain in your ass um, is like a really important thing. So that's important to consider. The other thing that I would consider is that in order for that paradigm of active investors, you know, get a better ROI to be true is that you have to be a good active investor. <laughs> and right. so like, if you're not good at it, then you're going to make more money as a passive investor. And like, for me, I'm not good at renovations. I've never flipped houses. Like I've done some small burr kind of things, but like, I'm not like someone who can manage a large scale renovation. And so I invest in syndications to get that benefit, right? If I did it myself, I probably wouldn't make as much money, even though I'm paying syndicators a couple percentage points for acquisition fees and management fees. I still think I'm doing better because I couldn't do it myself. And so I think you really have to, it's again, it's like so much of it is just about self-awareness and understanding like what you're good at and then deciding, you know, if active or passive is right for you. This episode is brought to you by the premier short-term rental Facebook group, short-term rental, long-term wealth. We have nearly 50,000 members. This is the biggest independently owned and operated SCR Facebook group. And it has been curated by yours truly, Cashflow Car. Join us on Facebook. Search the groups for short-term rental, long-term wealth. That's short-term rental, long-term wealth on Facebook. This episode is brought to you by Short-Term Rental Listing Advice. Join this Facebook group and post your listing to get advice from other hosts, including myself, on how you can improve your listing. Or just post your property so you can show off. Join us at strlistingadvice.com. That's strlistingadvice.com. And I'm going to actually take that a step further, but the other direction. So I think everybody gets really focused on how much money am I making? How much money am I making? But if you take your full-time job out of the equation, I think it's also important to understand what kind of personality you have and how you want to spend your time. So for me... Obviously, family time is most important for me. I want to spend time with my family all the time, but my kids are in school from eight to two. And uh, Luke and I are the type of people I like to call us working dogs. Um, <laughs> if, if we don't have anything to do, we will start to chew the furniture and each other. And <laughs> it's, I think if I didn't have uh, a business to run outside of our actual investments, I think I would go absolutely crazy. And I would probably <laughs> really enjoy doing something like, flipping rather than syndications because I need some things to do all day. I I perform right. much better at everything if I have a thousand things to do. If I have three things to do, none of them are getting done. But if I have a thousand, they're all getting done and done well. So I kind of need that motivation personally to do some things. So you kind of have to think about that too. Like what's your personality totally. type? Because I think everybody yeah. thinks, oh, I'm going to, I'll love to just not have to work. But in a couple days, for me, it takes like two days. I, I'm going crazy, but I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And I'm I'm actually somewhat similar. I just 
do, I like to stay busy outside of real estate too. So like, <laughs> I, and it might just not be my portfolio, like writing books and stuff is obviously super time consuming. And I just think that's, it's super important. Like if you're someone who is really organized and likes staying on task, like flipping could be great for you. If you're someone who's just like, I work 50 hours a week at a full-time job. And I like, at the end of the day, I just don't want to do anything else. Invest in a syndication, invest in a fund, buy a turnkey property. You know, like those are the types of things that you can do. And like, it's okay that you're not getting the cat, the same cash on cash return as someone who's doing an active flip. Like that's fine because that's the lifestyle you're looking for. Um, and so I, I completely agree that it comes down to, to personality as well, because it's just, yeah, like you, for most people you invest, it's like a means to an end, right? Like you're not just investing for the sake of investing, you're investing to achieve something else. And so it's crazy to me how often it happens that people wind up investing in things that are like completely contrary to why they're even doing it in the first place. <laughs> and it's because I think there's kind of this like lack of self-reflection or there's been sort of influence from, you know, the media or whatever. I want to highlight something that you said in that paragraph of what you just said um, and, and kind of shrink it down to the short-term rental space because I hear so many people, not so many people, a lot of influencers who are like, I have, I, you know, seven, I need, I need to make a million dollars in income on less than 10 properties or on like seven properties or, you know, making these wild numbers on these really small number of properties and everyone then who follows these people kind of says, I mean, I'm sure I'm guilty of doing it too, but um, they they think that they have to find that property that, oh, if I buy 10 of these, I'll have a million dollars. Whereas, you know, in other types of real estate, you have to buy dozens, hundreds to get there. Right. So what you said is it's okay if you're not doing that thing that somebody else is doing, it has to work for you. That person is probably at a maybe a different point in their life money financially, family wise, uh, just maturity wise, or, you know, a different point in their investing career. And I think that's really important for everyone to hear that it's okay to not be doing this crazy thing that somebody on the internet said they're doing. Totally. Yeah. Honestly, for me, it took a while. I've worked at bigger pockets for almost eight years and I had opportunities for the first few years to like, be, you know, get on the podcast and and contribute to the content side. Cause I've been an investor for 14 years now, but I was like nervous and didn't think I sort of belonged because I didn't have a team cold calling people and I wasn't finding off market deals. I was kind of just doing my thing slowly, but steady. But over time, I just sort of realized like, that's what I want to do. I like working at bigger pockets. I have no intention to quit. And like, that's fine for me. For some people, they want to run a big business and want to be entrepreneurs. And that's also fine. I just think it's hard for people to like recognize that there are all these options. There's no prescribed path. And if you just educate yourself a little bit about some of the trade-offs, some of the fundamentals of investing, you really can sort of any course that you can dream up. That's like the beauty of real estate is like, there are so many different ways you can do it from like almost entirely passive to growing a massive business and everything in between. And it's just, I find like super empowering to be able to just like choose your own course and chart your own adventure. Yeah, 
I, I, that's the best thing about real estate investing is that we could have 10 different people in a room who are doing 10 completely different things and all of them be successful. I mean, probably a hundred people in a room. And that's what's so cool about, about real estate in general. Yeah. You, you can do, there's a thousand ways to be successful. There's not one right and only way, which is why I find engineers have a really hard time getting into real estate (laughs) investing. (laughs) Um, I think but, they all follow me. That's so funny. Like everyone who follows me on Instagram is like, I'm an engineer. I'm an engineer. It's like all these data people. Well, because I think you are like probably the best person for them to follow because you are so numbers oriented. And like me, I'm I'm more of a marketer. So an engineer is not going to, you know, really be able to relate to my brain like they would yours. So I, again, a thousand different ways that you can be successful exactly. and people to follow, you know, you want to make sure you're following people who have that same, whose brain works the same way yours does. So um, I think that's important too also. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. Yeah. And they all want to know, they're like, what's the best market? And when I tell them there is no such thing, that's when I think they they typically get upset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is no objective answer to this. Yeah. So I guess now that we've got, you've kind of come back to market and location. So if we are, you know, we're, we're new investors, we're looking at, okay, I, I think maybe I've chosen an asset class when we're, do you choose a market first, do you think, or the asset class? I I just actually, I'm going to interrupt my own question with that. Sure. I I, I think it changes for most people for, for different individuals. My general guidance on this is like all things being equal. If you can invest in your own backyard, you should do that. It's just a little bit easier, but it's not like that much different to invest in um, your uh, long distance. If you want to do that, I think it, it, it changes for each person. And, and in the book, I sort of break down deals into like these eight different elements, like, you know, the, the strategy, like whether it's a, a flip or a rental is one thing or a short-term rental, like whether you're passive or active, what market you're going to do, what type of asset class. And I think for each person, it's different and it's going to sort of depend on your, your own vision. So like for me living in Europe, being mostly passive, like my primary objective is the passivity part. So like, that's the first thing I like lock on to. I'm like, I can't do a cell phone burr. Like that's just not me right now. (laughs) And so I, then I say, I look at my portfolio and I have taken some swings on, you know, longer term um, equity building things. And so recently I'm like, now I want cash flow. I want a little bit of cash flow to start balancing out my portfolio. And so then I start those, that's like the second most important element to me. So I'm like, I got a passive cash flow and I mostly invest in Colorado and that's just not happening in Colorado these days. So then I'm like, all right, now I need to find markets where this does exist and they do. And so Recently, I've been pivoting my attention towards the Midwest, for example, because I think that's a place where I can find passive cash flow. And so I sort of like go in this order personally of like, what is the most important thing to me about this deal? Then the next most important, then the next most important. It really can go in any order. Um, you know, for a lot of people, I think a lot of new investors too, the primary thing they do is like, I want to invest where I live. And so that's fine. But then you might have to be flexible on the other elements being like, if I want to invest where I live, like I might have to house hack, a flip might not work or a long-term rental might not work and I need a new medium-term rental. And so you sort of have to just prioritize the elements of the deal. Yeah. And it it can be really hard because not every 
where that people live is the best place for them to invest. And sometimes you kind of have to find that out. Like the, my first investment was where I lived and happened to line up to be a great investment and was where I lived, but my, I couldn't replicate it. I could do it one time in that market yeah. and had to find another way. Yeah. And now you, you invest in a couple different markets now, right? Yeah. We're at probably like eight. Oh, wow. So that's a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. How often do you, how often do you like add a new market? Are you sort of careful about, you know, doing that too quickly or do you just scale them up? Cause you, I mean, you have a big team, right? Uh, so there's about four people. So Luke does all of our managing of the properties or managing of the managers. And, um, it takes a lot nowadays to add a new market. So when we first started, we were like, anything that works, we'll do. But now if I'm like, hey, it, well, actually, let me back up and say, depending on the asset class, it will take more or less. So if I want to add a new apartment building, there is no getting out of the market that we're in for that because it's mm -hmm. just, we've got everything too dialed in. We don't want to have to go deal with finding a new manager because it can take like three or four different managers in a market before you find one that works for you. And yep. it's just a lot of effort to want to do that. Whereas it's really easy to just add a new apartment building in that market to the the team we already have running. Same thing with our single family long terms, but a, uh, a short term, actually, I think it takes the least for us to be able to add a new market. Um, but with that being said, I am not going to go into a short-term market that doesn't already have like a lot of infrastructure for short-term rentals. So I'm not going to go trailblaze uh, and say, oh, you know what? There's no short-term rentals in this market. This is where we're going. I'm getting older. Like my back hurts right now. I do not have the energy to trailblaze anymore. So I, if I go into <laughs> a short-term market, it's going to be, you know, one of the bigger ones just because I don't want to have to like dig up a primary home housekeeper and try to teach them how to turn a vacation rental. I want options and support and all that. So to very make a very lengthy answer to your question, we don't, I, I don't see us getting into too many more markets at this point. And mm -hmm. really the only reason in terms of long terms that we started moving around markets was because certain markets stopped working. Like they just got too expensive or too popular. Um, and so we had to switch to, to something else. So we try to yeah. not have to do that at this point. I think it's, yeah, that's really important. Cause like once you maybe see like, oh, I can invest long distance. Some people are like, I'm just going to invest like all over the place. <laughs> you know, it's, it's tempting to do that, but the boots on the ground is really important. And obviously because of what I do for work, um, people often ask me what the best market is and really is none but i think like if you can narrow it down to like five markets that you like go with the one where you have the best team like that is going to make mm -hmm. a bigger difference in your returns than like you know picking between two like probably pretty similar types of cities yeah yeah once you get to a, a certain point in your portfolio the less people you have to manage the better so you know if we've only got three property managers to manage for our long terms versus you know, if we had everything spread out over 20 markets, it would be like 20 times the work to manage all these people. So it's much easier after a certain, uh, I don't know what the threshold would be, but it's probably subjective based on the person. It just doesn't make as much sense to go out and get into other markets unless you're planning on scaling pretty big in those markets. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You have to make sure like you're kind of 
committing to that market for a while. It's not yeah. like you can like <clears throat> pop in and out. Um, or, you know, what I do in those situations, like if I like a market, don't want to build a team, that's when I invest in like a syndication um, or a fund in that area. But that's really for accredited investors. So it's not available to everyone. Yeah. And I think that one more point before we go, I think that yeah. a lot of people mistakenly think that even just, you know, having an apartment building or, you know, 10 single family long terms with a manager is truly passive. And it isn't as someone who, who has a lot of that. Um, I think that people are like, oh, you know, short term is active because you're if you're managing yourself, if you put it with a manager, it's passive. No, it isn't. The only thing that I would truly classify as passive is investing in a syndication because you're still going right. to be managing them. Um, it's you're still managing the manager. So syndication. Oh, I, I only have one short-term rental and I a full service property manager. And it's probably <laughs> the property that I still have to manage the most, um, even though <laughs> yeah. it's like the most full service property management um, that I have. And that's just part of it. It's, and it's fine. Like I, you know, I just think as long as you have reasonable expectations, that's totally fine. If you think that you're going to buy a couple rental properties and just like lay around all day, that's probably not going <laughs> to work out for you. <laughs> Yeah. As with everything in life, expectations are very important. <laughs> That's right. Yes. So Dave, is there anything about the book that we haven't touched on or that you want to make sure people know in uh, preparation for it coming out? Yeah. So the, the one thing is that we, we've talked a lot about the themes in the book. Uh, one of the coolest things that uh, I think comes with the book is this idea of a personalized real estate portfolio. It's a template. It's kind of like a business plan that you can use to like make these decisions. Avery and I have talked about, you know, what, how do you choose a market? Do you want to be passive or active? And it sort of gives you all of the questions and a framework to think through each of these things. Um, and that comes for free with the book, as does an Excel worksheet that helps you do some financial planning. Um, some of the uh, portfolio tracking software all comes with the book. So if you're interested in it, you can check it out at biggerpockets.com slash strategy book. Yes, make sure you guys go pick it up. I think it, it is available for pre-order now, isn't it? It yes, is. It is. Um, it is available for pre-order. And if you pre-order now, there's actually like a second book. It's called The Strategy Planner. Um, and it's like, a, it's a basically a journal that helps you like map out your strategy and how you're going to use it through the year. And that is free if you pre-order it right now. Um, normally, I think it's yeah. going to be 30 bucks. So it's free right now if you pre-order at the biggerpockets.com slash strategy book. All right, guys. So go go check that out. And Dave, if our follow if our listeners want to follow you on social media, especially our engineer listeners, where can <laughs> they do that? <laughs> uh, you can always find me on Instagram, where I'm at the Data Deli. And you've got a pretty like a, a little bitty podcast, right? <laughs> People could go yes, listen. to I should. <laughs> I always forget about this. I'm so bad at promoting it's like a huge podcast. Um, yeah, I always forget like, about. Ahem. Well, I do have a podcast. It's called On the Market. Uh, it is a uh, data news economics focused podcast. So if you're interested in uh, just staying on top of like what's going on in sort of the economic climate as it pertains to real estate investors, definitely check that out. It comes out twice a week. All right. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on and guys go, go buy his book. Thank you.